Are you a software developer that wants to work remote? Clevertech is where software developers experience remote done right. Live limitlessly. Add world-class accomplishments to your resume. Live a life beyond the ordinary. Join team members in creating the future, all while making memories and being close to what's important to you. Visit clevertech.biz jobs to apply. Hello everyone, my name is Tyler Selhorn and welcome to another episode of The Remote Show, where we discuss everything to do with remote work with the people who know it best. Thanks so much for listening. The Remote Show is brought to you by WeWork Remotely, the largest community of remote workers in the world. With over 220,000 unique users per month, WeWork Remotely is the most effective way to hire. Today, we are blessed to be learning out loud with Tarek Rauf. Tarek is founder and CEO of Catalog, spelled with a Q. Catalog is a work hub that gives people a radically simpler way to coordinate work across teams and get context on what's happening. Tarek is a trained architect and has previously led product at Amazon and Wise. As he and the Catalog team are building their software products, they are being very conscious of the idea that the 9 to 5 office is gone, the metaverse won't work for work, and that replicating in-person office conventions is a broken model for working together in a remote environment. Tarek, tell us, what problems are you trying to solve differently at Catalog? Thank you for having me, Tyler. You're welcome. Great question to start with. So Catalog is a brand new way of using, thinking about, and building software for work. It is essentially a hub for a company to connect the dots between its people, teams, projects, goals, documentation, and processes. Think of it as like a single source of truth for work or the only login that you need for creating, sharing, and updating things across the company. It's worth looking at how software is built today to your question of what's different and some of the side effects of that approach to appreciate what's different about us. So typically, there's like a team of five to 10 people that hack away at a better solution of what's out there, and they eventually get some traction and they keep growing until the market taps out. This is typically how products have been built historically in, say, Silicon Valley, for instance. Like, you know, Slack is built by a team of five to 10 people. The audience was a team of five to 10 people. And, you know, they keep hacking away at the solution until it gets broad adoption. But the interesting thing is, if you look at the very first version of Slack and the version of Slack that it is today, like after 12, 13 years or so, the difference would be fairly marginal compared to the very first instance of it. And if you do the same thing across the first version of Dropbox, or the first version of Trello, or even Gmail, like, yes, there's, you know, they're more stable, they have slicker UI, they're slightly more performant. They obviously have a lot more features that are very specifically tuned for, you know, say super users, for instance. But the foundational structure of the product hasn't really changed. But what has changed is the scale of customers using the product. Like, it's no longer 10 to 20 person teams using Slack. You have 5,000, 10,000 people organizations using software that was intentionally and initially meant for small teams. The ergonomics don't fit in scale. And so this is where I think my background as an architect sort of intervenes and says, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, I'm a trained architect, as you mentioned. As in a physical building architect, I specialized in technical and transport buildings. I worked on a 60 million passenger airport terminal, a cancer research center for the city of Lisbon, a cultural center for the Aga Khan in Toronto, all in the 300 to $500 million building scale, which are pretty huge assets for the city. And I trained under Charles Correa, who designed these buildings. And my experience there was, I think, fairly transformational in terms of how I approach problem solving, how we approach software in general, and it's informed quite a lot of my thinking. And one of the things we do is uh, start with how many people are going to be in the space you have to work with. 
right? So if you're building an airport, you need to know how many passengers are going to flow through the space. A 60 million passenger per annum airport is different from a 100 million passenger per annum airport is different from a 30 million passenger per annum. You need to have corridor widths of a certain size, the number of check-in counters, the number of gates, toilets, seats, runways, all come back basically from this final number of how many passengers per annum are you expecting for this airport to support. Now, if you miss out on one of those things, the whole thing falls apart. So these analog native solutions have this wonderful quality of you know, physical constraints driving the design, namely space and people. But we're sort of in a digital era of solution building. The mind cannot sort of natively comprehend the limitations as easily as you can see in analog native problems. The ergonomics of software for a digital world is like new to designers and engineers and product people. So you need to sort of think from first principles as to what are the constraints in a digital world and what is the solutions to that digital world look like? Like Tinder, Airbnb, Uber, these are all great examples of digital native solutions. It mainly works by leveraging economies and choice of scale that you just cannot replicate offline. You cannot meet 100 people in 10 minutes as you can do on Tinder offline. Uber, like you cannot connect to every cab driver within a mile radius. This is only possible online. You cannot meet or have a friend with a spare room in every city that you visit. That's just only possible because of Airbnb. And these are online, digitally native solutions. And I think the same sort of shift is happening at work today. We're seeing people building digital whiteboards. And it's familiar, but collaboration in the digital era is very different. What does a digitally native collaboration look like? And we're seeing people make virtual spaces that you can walk in, virtual sort of tables that you can sit on, and the, the idea of like skeuomorphically imposing physical sort of attributes to the digital world is a nice little bridge, but I think is a long way away from what a native solution looks like. Let me interrupt you just for a moment there, Tarek. You're using some awesome words that I'd love to go deeper with. You just used the word skeuomorphic, right? And you've mm -hmm. also addressed the idea of ergonomics inside of digital spaces. Mm -hmm. And you're encouraging us to be thinking of those digitally native expressions of the workplace. And really starting from that question that you asked when you were an architect is, how many people will use this space? Yes. How can we kind of define those ideas in a way that helps us express our workplaces in a more effective way? So there's a few things that physical workspaces are really good at. Right? One is it's inherently social. When you see somebody, you know it's Tyler or it's John or it's Hamid, and you can sort of, you know, attribute identity to work that's happening. It's inherently collaborative. So when you do something with somebody, you have to communicate. There's physical language, there's unspoken language, there's spoken language. There's also an amount of like back and forth and connecting the dots that you do. And there's a way in which you work that is native to the profession or role or title that you have. And I'm speaking specifically within the knowledge working sort of space. It varies from industry to industry, but for the purpose of this conversation, I'd keep it to just knowledge working. And the way you work with, say, somebody who's writing content is very different from the way you work with somebody who's doing design, the way you work with somebody who's doing product, the way somebody's doing accounts and marketing. These are all very different workflows. Some of it requires deep thinking. Some of it requires a lot of idea sharing. Some of it requires a lot of like plumbing work. 
which is like a lot of foundational boilerplate stuff that needs to happen. So these are all workflows that are native to each specific problem in knowledge work. And the last thing I would say is there's an amount of like tacit knowledge that's accessible with having people in a specific space. Now, to flip your question a little bit, if you use these five characteristics and you assess the existing sort of skeuomorphic solutions, when I say skeuomorphic, I really mean the physically native solutions has been adapted to a digital sort of environment, right? Let's stay on that for just a second, right? I loved the analogy that you made in a recent article. That's even what prompted us to talk today. When you were comparing digitally native solutions versus skeuomorphic solutions, when we say skeuomorphic, Mm -hmm. we're saying the button looks like a real world actual button, or it looks like the television, you know, you're going to watch YouTube, you know, the pre iOS seven button was like an old school tuning dialed (laughs) tube television, right? In fact, the idea of YouTube, right? That that being that we're going to have something you watch on a screen, right? I'm talking to you from Fort Wayne, one of the places that the vacuum tube that created television technology, one of the inventors was from here, but like we're moving past that. Like there's this whole other space that's happening. That's Mm -hmm. not like the real world. And Mm -hmm. what does it mean for us to be building those digitally native workplaces of the future? So skeuomorphism or, you know, leveraging familiar sort of visual language and, and spoken language is, and experiences is, is very useful for bridging into a new world, right? So YouTube came along and used the television as a proxy to be like, this is where you watch something. And then mm-hmm. over time that moved into, you now have shows that are native to YouTube that you just cannot have anywhere else. You mm-hmm. cannot have that show on CNN, for instance. Like, you know, it's completely mm-hmm. native to YouTube. But through that journey, they ditched the TVs, they ditched the analog references, they ditched the skeuomorphic references. That bridge is important to go from A to B so that you Mm -hmm. can take people along on that journey. So digital native is that you are essentially physically, if you want a reference point to the analog world in the ether. So you're not limited by the office space that you have. And by extension, you're not limited by where your office is. And by extension, you're limited to which country you're hiring from. So one, not only is the nine to five dead, because the nine to five for somebody in India is different from the nine to five for somebody in in Canada. And so the idea of building time-bound, specific sort of uh, office environments is now a thing of the past. Time doesn't matter anymore. Location doesn't matter anymore. The thing that I'm hearing you say is that you're rhyming with so many of our other guests that we're saying that not only is work becoming location independent, mm-hmm. but it's also becoming time independent. Yes, absolutely. So if it's becoming time independent, we need to figure out what does working natively without real-time interaction look like? How do you get visibility of the work that you do? How do you collaborate with people when you're not synchronously operating anymore? And so Mm -hmm. you need new solutions that enable that new world. And that new solutions look nothing like what we've had before. So if you think about a a digital whiteboard, you need two people at it to collaborate. But what if you can only put one person at it at a time? And if that's the case, is a whiteboard the ideal sort of canvas, so as to speak, to make that happen? Mm -hmm. So that's, again, the whiteboard is a skeuomorphic sort of solution from the analog world. Let me reflect back some thoughts that I'm having as I'm hearing you speak. I'm hearing you say that once we untether 
our work from a physical location, there's these second and third order effects. We're a little lost, right? We've tried these skeuomorphic, similar to the real world situations, and we're we're getting to the end of that bridge. And some of us are ready to step right onto the new world, right on the other side of the river, right? But mm-hmm. some of us are still like, no. I'm going to stay right here on this bridge. Does that make sense? What I'm describing to you is that we're taking this journey together in this remote work world. And some of us aren't sure that we want to trust the ground that's on the other side. No, that's a fair thing to be worried about or concerned about or not trust because it's unfamiliar. And this place of unfamiliarity is where most new solutions come from. If you'd asked somebody, hey, you're going to be spending all day, every day in video calls with your colleagues, and this is how you're going to work. I mean, that's a bridge nobody would have stepped off of into. Uh, but it is reality today. And the second and third order effects of flexibility, the ability to include multiple people from multiple places in, in most meetings you're able to have, making it more inclusive, more flexible, and more essentially efficient is making that trade-off worthwhile. And people are trusting this new world now. I'm not saying it is the solution, but it is one of the solutions that I think will be in the palette of this new untrusted world that we're heading into. Yeah, plus 100 to dodging the all-day, everyday video conference. (laughs) I guess the thing that I'm most interested to hear more from you is like, what are the specifics? Give us the lay of the land on the other side of the river. Yeah, so this is where I think catalog sort of comes in, right? So in order to create digital solutions for the world of work, like you need to replicate the entities and the people involved and their relationships digitally. And this is the important piece, not the medium of collaboration. And I'll go into this in a second. And you can see this happen in the form of like, you know, documents being the basis for digital workspaces. You can see Notion and Google Docs and all of those sorts of things trying to figure out how do you be the control plane for everything happening in a company digitally. And you can see task management companies like Asana and Jira and Monday trying to be, again, another control plane for being the hub for work happening in a company. Interestingly, Slack is trying to do it from a messaging standpoint. And then there are these virtual whiteboard and virtual workspace platforms. And they're all mediums of collaboration. And the mediums of collaboration don't scale. This is going back to the ergonomics of a 500-person, 1,000-person company. So what we've essentially done is we have rebuilt what an organization its people, its work, and how it's inf- how the information flows between them and made it digitally native, right? So I'll give you an example. So if Tyler is a part of the content team in a company called Acme, we know that. And we know who Tyler's teammates are. We know what projects Tyler is working on. And we know what sort of updates are happening in all the little tools that Tyler's connected sort of worksphere has and, and the information from that. And so we were able to reconstruct a digital representation of the work that's happening within a company. And so when Tyler has an update, we know that there's a connected Slack channel. We call it the Slack channel. Oh, hey, there's an update on this project. Or if there's a new goal that's moved, we let Tyler's teammates know and people who are interested in the team know, like this has happened. And so as a consequence, you don't need to have those meetings anymore. You don't need to ping somebody on Slack and say, hey, where's this thing? Mm-hmm. Or you don't need to sort of have those check-in and status meetings and saying, where's stuff at? All of that in the digital world, needing to ping somebody for information that sits in the digital world is just a crime, right? Mm. And so we have sort of made that native. And so everything within Catalog is one connected 
two collaborative, three intelligent, because we know where the connections are and what's happening where. It's workflow native. So if you're running a project, there's a workflow for a project. If you're doing onboarding, there's a workflow for how you onboard people. If you're doing goal management, you know, you set OKRs, you set checking cadences, and you do all the things that are native to that specific work problem. And it's also social. So everything is connected to people. So if there's an update from somebody, that somebody has an ent- is, a, is a thing on catalog as opposed to just an icon in the top right of the screen. Like you can go to Tyler and you can explore all the connections to Tyler at work, for instance. And I encourage you to try uh, the product out at catalog.com. And I should give you a sense of, of, of what I'm trying to say. Really cool. Definitely to those of you that are feeling adrift, as it were, set your course with Tariq's product. But the thing that I'm hearing you say as well, mm-hmm. as you describe your product, I think at simultaneous moments that work is expanding, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's becoming bigger and less bound, but then in other ways, it's also shrinking and becoming much more atomized specific to individuals. We can see the pattern of people choosing to become freelancers instead of employees. We can see folks choosing to live where they work best instead of where the headquarters of a large company might happen to be. The expansion of fractional roles that exist in relationship to agencies. There's lots of trends that are happening this way. I'm wondering how you see that kind of behavior happening. We're in the midst of the great reimagination, resignation, any alliterative way of saying are. How are you noticing that kind of thing happening for individuals? Because you're mapping the relationships that are happening in workplaces. What are you seeing there in that space as people are both expanding and shrinking all at once? So the world of work is expanding for sure. Like just by removing physical sort of limitations on where you can hire and who you can work with. But at the same time, that's also expanding the pool of opportunities for everybody around the world. And that pool of opportunities means like you should be open to moving to other roles if there's a better fit. Previously, if you had access to 10 jobs, you now have access to 150. So I think in the near term, you'll see a lot of movement. But in the long term, Ultimately, people want to you know, feel a sense of belonging. People want to do work that's meaningful. People will find their place. I think we're going through an adjustment period of a sudden you know, surge in opportunities, but eventually people will settle in sort of jobs and job types that suit them. But, but this period of rapid expansion is definitely having its impact. Over the long term, I don't think it's going to lead to in a shorter 10 years. If you have more bad companies, yes, sure, of course. But as companies figure out how to build remote cultures, as companies figure out how to build remote tooling that helps people feel belonging and trust within an organization, as all these problems go away, I think you'll start to see more people settle in for the longer term. Well, it's good to hear you rhyming with others again that we're going to see this rebalancing of work relative to the individual, right? That because you have access to that many more opportunities, you're going to be able to tune where you end up working much closer to what it is that you are best at, right? And that's been the story of the internet uh, writ large, right? Is to say, you know, niche down, right? That there is a long tail there for you to grab hold of, right? To say that the very, very specific 
self that you are with the skills that you already have or are about to learn for yourself match up to the exact needs of a company somewhere, right? And that somewhere increasingly is the internet, right? It's not bound to a specific space. And, and, you know, I've been saying this over and over to folks, but the more that we can reside in digital spaces, like not only digitally native products and workplaces, but also digitally native individuals, the opportunities that become available to you are really without limit. Just myself as an example, right? As recently as May of 2019, I was teaching eighth graders pre-algebra, right? And (laughs) as soon as I said, you know what? I was a technology-oriented teacher, right? Well, now I'm going to be a teaching-oriented technologist. And lo and behold, I'm talking to Tarek. Right. I mean, that, like that's, that's a, that's a very, very tight window in which, you know, my work life has, has transformed completely just by choosing to reside in the internet. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that trend of people embracing being an internet person on the internet, doing internet things. What does that mean to you? I think we've been doing that for a long time now. So if you think about even social interactions, I can see. Even me personally, I interact with my family and friends more on WhatsApp than I do in person. Cumulatively, if you take the amount of time we spend together versus the amount of time we spend WhatsApping, like the digital self has been a thing for a really long time now. Like with the advent of Facebook and Instagram and all of that, digital identities came into being quite some time ago. I think the pandemic sort of turned that up to 11, but the shift has been happening for a while. And I think this broader trend of people finding their home, I think people are inherently tribal. People like to you know, feel a sense of belonging and community and all of that. And I think the rapid expansion and opportunity does not necessarily mean people are going to keep jumping. I think it just, there's a higher chance of somebody finding a role where they belong and they feel like they can contribute. They feel like a sense of like fulfillment than before. So I think you'll have fewer employees that are stuck in jobs because that's the only job they can do. And that's the only job they can sort of, you know, meet their needs from from the end other objectives of having a job. And so I think ultimately it's good for companies. I think it's good for individuals. I think it's good for managers. I think it's good for mental well-being because people don't want to be jumping jobs either. But the increase in opportunities increases the probability that you will find something that suits you. Fantastic. I am so excited to be a part of the remote work movement that is producing those kinds of outcomes, saying that it's less and less likely that someone is going to be stuck in an unfulfilling job and much more likely that they will find exactly the place that will give them not only compensation for their labor, but also a sense of belonging and an idea that you are contributing to the world becoming a better place. I think that's really, really cool. Okay. So I want to transition here to my final question and just give you a chance to, you've been talking quite a lot about the future, but I'd like for you to contrast that with these different epochs, these periods of time right before or earlier than 2019. And then also this time that's kind of, you know, in the midst of the pandemic. And then what what is going to be the world of work, the world of remote work, especially broadly, 2023 and beyond. Can you give us a bit of compare and contrast between those time periods as you think about remote work? 
So I think the time period before 2019, I think we were doing distributed work, but we were in denial, right? And uh, we were doing remote work, but we were in denial. If you had a team of 50 people on a floor, they were doing distributed work. They just happened to be in the same building. They were slacking each other. They were sending each other things. Yeah, sure, they go out for a meal or they'd go out for a drink or two, but ultimately they were doing distributed work. Even during my time at Amazon, my team had people from Bangalore, New York, Seattle, Copenhagen. There's a couple of people from South Africa. Like it was distributed, right? And the tooling and processes were sort of, we were in a sort of denial that we were in a distributed world. So the sense of comfort of going to the office, opening up your laptop, and then ultimately working with a colleague in Bangalore, it was, um, I think, a reckoning that was coming one way or the other. I think 2019 sort of forced the hand of all those comforts of going to an office and talking to people and having lunches with folks. I think the social aspect of it went away, but the work remained. And one of the reasons why the world was able to transition that quickly is because of the lot of the tooling we built to enable most of that work. So Zoom existed well before the pandemic. And a lot of the tools existed before the pandemic. And so the world sort of was forced to realize that, okay, we're doing distributed work. We now need to be a little bit more intentional about it. And I think 2023 and beyond, we're going to see truly after the denial and after the acceptance and a sort of like embracing of the aspects and challenges and difficulties of distributed working and very, very fine-tuned, very capable solutions, very adaptive mindsets and processes and policies that will come into play to make that reality 10x better than what it was in 2018. And uh, I think it's inevitable. Outstanding. Just to say it back, right? 2019, we were in denial and there was a reckoning in 2020. And that forced us to be thinking in intentional ways to build for an adaptive future. Thank you so much, Tarek, for coming and talking to us. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much again for listening to the show and be sure to check out WeWorkRemotely.com for the latest remote jobs. And if you're looking to hire a remote worker, WeWorkRemotely is the fastest and easiest way to do so. As always, if you have someone we should talk to, any advice you have, or if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, please reach out to us at podcast at WeWorkRemotely.com. That's podcast at WeWorkRemotely.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.